I hold me by the hand. I can hold him by the hand. Yes, yes. Bless you. Well, I would like to just pray before we start the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are love. God, we thank you that your love surpasses knowledge, that your love satisfies us, that you love us no matter what we think, what we feel, what we've done, that you take joy in loving us, that we're not alone even though we might feel alone at times. You are the father of the fatherless. You are the healer, the comforter. You are rich in mercy. You heal the brokenhearted. You meet our needs and you delight meeting our needs. You delight being intimate with us. And you're always going to be this way for us, God. You're unchanging. And I pray that your love would saturate us today, transform us. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you have had a supernatural experience with the love of God? Just raise your hand. Would you say you've experienced his love in a supernatural way? So we, we have a, a fair amount of people who've had that. That should happen. And Jesus says before the cross in the Gospel of John, he, he says, he who loves me, I'm going to manifest myself to that person. He's going to manifest in a personal way. And I've had a few times in my life where I've experienced the love of God in a very powerful way. There was a time when I was in college, and I was trying to sleep. It had been about five hours. I was trying to sleep. I, I had sleeping issues, and, and I was angry. You know, I was suffering. I was in, in, in anguish. And, and after five hours, my anger was directed towards God. And I actually gave him the finger. <laughs> I did. God's sovereign. Why isn't he changing my circumstances? Why does he let me suffer like this? And I was angry. I let him have it. And then a few minutes later, I ended up going to sleep. And then something happened. All of a sudden, I became aware. I became aware of a love, a presence. I felt like I was being held. And I felt like I was being hugged. And I was, I was leaning on, on the shoulder, these arms embracing me. And I opened my eyes and I see a, a white robe on the shoulder. And my mind is fully cognizant, just like now. And I think I know who this is. And I, I wrap my arms around him. And I'm like, I know this is Jesus. I know this is Jesus. In the midst of my frustration and my anger and my false blame, Jesus, who is love, came to comfort me. And I thought to myself, Dare I take a look at him? Because, again, when you're in the presence of Christ, there is a holiness and an honor. It's not a light thing. So I was kind of afraid to even look at him. But I thought I'm going to. So I look up at his face. And what I see, it's not just what I see, it's what I feel. A perfect love, a perfect peace, a perfect purity. A holiness and he he had a physical form but it seemed like he was made out of like light like out of energy he was supernatural the glorified body and he looked at me with his perfect love and acceptance in the midst of my anger 
And he kissed me on the forehead, and then he left. And then I went back into the, the sleep state, and in the morning when I woke up, I felt, I felt warmth, not, not a physical warmth, but a supernatural warmth, almost as if tangible love had just totally come inside my body, and there was a joy and a peace and a satisfaction that came with that. That was a powerful experience of God's love for one of his children who was really having a hard time. I believe the center of Christianity, the center of who God is, the nature of God is love. I believe the Bible teaches that. You see that in the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. God created creation in love and for love. The way that we are supposed to respond to one another is love and nothing else. That was the design of creation. And that will be the restoration of creation. When Jesus comes back, love is going to define how we relate to everything. Question for you guys. Where does love come from? Any answers? God? I hear some people whispering God. I think that's the right answer. And, and th- there are other answers too, but ultimately the, the original source of love is God. God doesn't just love. It is what he does. But it says in 1 John 4, 8 that that's who he is. God himself is love. We're not saying love is God, but we're saying God is love. We're saying that's his nature. It seems to be the strongest aspect of his nature. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. God loves a sinful, broken world. The world doesn't have to do anything to earn his love. In fact, the world has done everything to, to lose his love if that were possible, but it's not. Because God is love, and he loves unconditionally. God isn't just love, but he delights in loving and giving to his creation, especially to his adopted children. Ephesians 2, 7 says, We have been saved so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressing his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So God is looking forward to eternity when he saved us He was thinking, for eternity, I'm going to bless my children. I'm going to love my children. I'm going to put smiles on their faces. I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly above all they could ask or imagine for the ages to come. And God delights in thinking that, and God's going to delight in doing that forever. And we're going to be delighted in receiving that. God's love is so profound in our lives, Romans eight twenty eight, all things work together for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. All the crap in our lives, all the pain, disappointment, God is able to redeem. And not only able, but he chooses to because he loves us that much. And he is sovereign and he's able to do that. And he promises that he will. And that can give us a hope no matter what we're going through. Luke 2 or Luke chapter 
12, verse 7 says, Why even the hairs of your head are all numbered? Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. I'm sure the greatest lovers in the world don't know how many hairs each other have. I mean, God loves us enough to know and care about the intimate, intricate details of our lives. It's, in this context, it's not just God's omniscience, it's God's affection. It's God's affection that determines his knowing of his children. He cares for us more than we can understand. We are made in his image. We are made for love. Our greatest need is love, but it's also our greatest pleasure to give and to receive love. I don't believe that we can generate love. I believe love is a gift. And from parents to children, love is supposed to pass down the family line. Last Tuesday at Communitas, I met a guy, his second week there. He seemed kind of alone, isolated. I introduced myself and said, could I pray for you? No, no, I don't want prayer. Well, I knew something was going on in his heart. I started to go a little deeper with him. He said his dad was in Florida. He said his dad hasn't really shown much interest in him. And I asked him, have you ever felt God's love? He said, how could God love me? How could he love me? Did you ever feel loved by your dad? No. I said, have you ever loved somebody in a powerful, deep way? Have you ever had that love in your heart for somebody? He said, no. So he didn't get it from his parents, so he could not release it. You can't, you can't re- release love until you first receive it. I believe that's the case. Tell me, love, what is love? Define it, if you would. Just throw out some thoughts on this. Love is what? What? Pure action. Forgiveness. Kindness. Faithful. Patient. Dine yourself. Okay, that's powerful. Acceptance. Yep, yep. Laying down your life for your friends. Unconditional. Okay, what was the other one? Restoring. Okay, beautiful. Well, leave it, we'll leave it at that for now, and I'd say they're all they're all true. I looked up the dictionary definition for love. It says a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. It also says a feeling of warm personal attachment or deep affection, as for a parent, child, or friend. Third. Definition here is sexual passion or desire, which I'm not going to be focusing on in this message. <laughs> well, let somebody else like Paul Anderson you know, address that one in the weeks to come. <laughs> but something I, I want to really communicate, love is an emotion. It says here, love is a profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person. And we do read in Scripture, we're going to hit some of these verses, does love express itself? Yes. Is love active? Yes. Is genuine love sacrificial? Yes. Are there different adjectives that you have thrown out that rightly describe love? The answer is yes. But love itself is like a flame in your heart. 
It's an affection. It's a passion that causes you out of joy and delight. As, as Jesus went to the cross, for the joy that was set before him, he despised the cross and during his shame. I wonder what that joy was. Was it the restoration of creation? Was it, was it having many brothers and sisters to love for eternity? Was it in, increasing his family of love? I think so. I think that's the case. Love causes pain. Would you agree with that? I believe God experiences emotional pain over those he loves when they suffer. Where does that come from? Isaiah 63, 9, it says, And all Israel's, and I, all their afflictions, Israel's afflictions or suffering, he was afflicted that he is referring to God. It sounds like God so loves his people he so empathizes with them and identifies with them that when, when they're in pain, it affects them emotionally and he suffers with them. Ephesians 4.30 says, Paul is writing, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I looked up that word grieve in the Greek just to make sure that it means grieve. And it, 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 says, it says, afflict with sorrow, to make sad or sorrowful. So basically he's saying, do not make the Holy Spirit sorrowful, which implies that Christians can make the Holy Spirit sorrowful if he's asking us not to do that. So does God love us so much that he's emotionally affected by our pain? Yes, I believe the Bible says that. 1 Corinthians 13. There's a transition. We talk about the gifts in 12, which are of God and good and necessary for the body of Christ. Then Paul says, I will show you a more excellent way. In verses 1 through 3, he, he talks about the gifts, basically. He talks about faith. He talks about good Christian things. If I give all I have to the poor, again, we're, we're, we're talking about action here. If I do good works... If I even have faith, if I have a supernatural faith that can move mountains. But if love isn't the motive for my faith or my love or my, my giving all I have to the poor, the Bible says it's worthless. And that's why I want to hit, hit this hard. Love is way more than an action. You can do the right action for the wrong reason. You can give to feel better about yourself. You can give to try and get status. I've seen ungodly use of the gifts. I've seen people get hurt ministering the gifts because love wasn't the motive. There are four Greek words for love. The most profound love is called agape. Jesus uses that term. Agape is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional. It's the highest form of love that is the love of God. 
This is the way God loves his people. John 14, 34 says that. New commandment I give you that you love or agape one another. As I have loved you, so you are to love one another. So love your neighbor before, but he says a new commandment. Well, it sounds like an old commandment, but now he's saying you, the Christian community, the body of Christ, you are to, to go to a level of love that is divine. A love that would cause you to lay down your lives for one another. That's a love that we cannot generate on our own. That comes through knowing God from receiving that love from the Lord. It's the same word used in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not proud, rude, self-seeking, not easily angered, doesn't keep record of wrongs, not delight in evil, rejoices in the good. That's agape. That's the agape word. That's what divine love looks like. That's how divine love manifests itself. That's the attitude of divine love. And that's the love that God is calling his people to. Storge, family affection. That refers to the bonds that children have with parents, spouses have towards one another, etc., etc. Phileo. You see this word a lot in the Bible too. It's brotherly love. One concordance refers to it as having a tender affection for somebody else. Brotherly love is something that the Bible says that we're to grow in. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9-10. through 10. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So all Christians, to some degree, have phileo, brotherly love, but we need to grow in that. And I, I've seen the power of phileo. Um, you know, I'm a part of the Communitas ministry, a lot of young adults. There's a joy in loving people. There's a joy in the brotherly love, the fraternity, uh, the, the tender affection. And God himself moves on that. You know, it says in First John that if you, if you love one another, it says that his love is perfected in us. Yesterday, unexpectedly, I saw somebody I, I used to know years, years ago. He invited me over to dinner. I felt it was a divine appointment. He's a Baptist. And there are going to be Baptists over there, brothers, sisters in Christ. I went. And I, I had a meal with some of these guys. And, you know, we started kind of superficial, new sports weather. But then, but then... We went deeper, and we started talking about what is God showing us? What is God doing in our hearts? And these people I never met before who are a part of the family of God, in an hour or less, all of a sudden there is this affection that is so deep and so rich, and, and, and God is ministering to our hearts. We're ministering to each other's hearts, Baptists. Okay? And I, I say that in jest because the thing is, no matter whether you're charismatic or whatever you are, as long as you're in Christ, you're a brother or a sister. And may we have no pride or, or no matter what they believe, what they, what they think, as long as it's not, you know, absolute heresy, obviously. But God wants us to be one, as Ben was saying, um, during worship. 
when I left, I had to go to a, another meeting afterwards. Do you have to go? They said to me, do you have to go? No. They, they wanted my contact information. They wanted to continue because something divine happened there that ministered to our hearts that was precious. Because God is love, that is the only kind of relationship you can have with him. He will love you. He will not abuse you, neglect you, betray you, deceive you, disappoint you, exploit you, disrespect you, or belittle you. All these behaviors are the result of sin and brokenness. God is not sin and he is not broken. He is holy and he is love. We can only have a relationship with God through Jesus who shed his blood on the cross to reconcile us to the Father. God himself is the initiator of the love relationship. 1 John 4.19 says, We love because he first loved us. Going back to the idea, we don't have the capacity to love unless somebody gives it to us and, and pours it in like a fire into our hearts. 1 John 4, 8 says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. That word in the Greek is gnosko, which has four different definitions. Um, the idea of gnosko, one of the definitions is to learn to know. So this kind of knowing is a process. You get to meet somebody. It's a progressive knowing. You go deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Jesus says uh, to Philip, Philip says, show us the Father. Jesus says, Philip, haven't I been with you all this time and, and you do not know me? You know, this, this gnosko, this knowing in this context is referring to a relational, experiential, emotional exchange knowing. Ephesians 1.18, Paul is praying to the Ephesian believers. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. You see that connection? Eyes of your heart in order that you may know. Heart, know. Emotional, affections. That's the heart. Not just the mind, but the heart. In order to rightly know God, the eyes of our heart must be enlightened. Our heart needs to be awakened to the emotional reality of who God is. Know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So this gnosko is relational. It isn't an impersonal mind-knowing. Um, I've talked to people over the weeks who have given me their testimony, and they grew up in a Christian family. They, they had the knowledge down. They knew intellectually the Bible. They knew intellectually Jesus well, was the Son of God, and, and God is sovereign and holy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They had an intellectual understanding, but they never experienced him. And they weren't saved. They thought they were saved because they embraced Christian philosophy. But then, but then they encounter God. They go to a worship service and they feel something. They feel something that affects their heart, that makes it personal. They knew of God before, but then they came to know God. And this knowing 
this experiencing God's love caused them to say yes to the gospel invitation. I don't know you unless I encounter you, unless I spend time with you. So I don't really know God unless I spend time with him. The kind of knowing God that we're talking about is something that fills, affects, and changes your heart. If you know God, now Jesus says to the disciples, abide in me. I think it's John 14, 5 or somewhere on there. Then John 14, 9, he says, abide in my love. Abide in me, abide in my love. Do you realize you cannot abide in Christ without abiding in his love? So in other words, if you're abiding in Christ, you're going to experience his love. And I'm not talking about salvation here. What does it take to be saved? We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead. We are legally righteous. We're positionally righteous. Our sins are paid for on the cross. But there's something beyond that, which is not just salvation, but embracing our inheritance, embracing the access that salvation has purchased for us to go into a father-son or father-daughter relationship with God who is love. That's what abiding means when Jesus says, abide in me. Ephesians 3.19 says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. This is a prayer for the Ephesian believers that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. So again, filled to the measure of the fullness of God, we're not just talking doctrine here. We're talking literally the presence, the being of God, who is love, and he's praying that they would know, gnosko, experience this love that, that surpasses knowledge, that surpasses the cognitive, your mental capacity to understand, an experience of God's love that overwhelms you, that you can't comprehend. That's what he's praying for the believers. Verse 2 I'm sorry, two verses prior, Ephesians 3.17, he says that Christians, I pray that Christians would be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. You know, again, not, I'm all for doctrine. I study the Bible a lot. But the Bible says we need to be rooted and grounded in love. And we need to make that a priority as Christians. The more grounded we are in God's love, the more we are able to comprehend God. Do you realize that opening the eyes of your heart that you, you can't rightly comprehend who God is just with your mind. Your heart has to be awakened and aware and experience God. Open the eyes of my heart and then you can rightly comprehend who he is when your heart is, becomes free enough to behold him. Love isn't theoretical. It's experiential. Love is experienced in relationship. You can read about and study love all you want, but until you experience it, you'll have no clue what it is. The love transaction from God, seen in Romans 5.5, 5, says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts, God doesn't just have love for us. He expresses it. He releases it. And there's a life in that love that, that inhabits the believer and, and gives us um, joy and gives us everything that we need for the Christian life. The love of God. The love of the Father. The Holy Spirit is the one who releases that love into our hearts. Abiding in his love. I hit this verse before. John 
Chapter 15, verse 9 says, The Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. That's an invitation. Abide in my love. Get to know me. Spend time with me. If you abide in his love, you're going to allow yourselves to be loved by him. You're going to position yourself in a way just like a close friend, somebody you love, a spouse, whatever. You go on a date with them, and they are number one. They're what you're focusing on. They're what you're submitting to. You do that with the Lord. The Bible says, draw near to God. He's going to draw near to you. He's going to bless you. He's going to touch you. The word abide carries the idea of continuing, enduring, awaiting, dwelling, and withstanding firm and immovable without yielding. So there's there's a, a, a an abiding where you, you make it your priority and you don't leave that place in his love, in Christ. Question for you guys, how do you do that? Any thoughts on that? How do you abide in God's love? Somebody's got to have something. Don't be afraid. Study it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Worship him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Seek his face. Yeah, offer up, sacrifice, however you feel led. Give give to God. Any other thoughts? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe all that, those are true. And then also, I believe as we love one another, the term koinonia that I, I touched on with the Baptists, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. Okay, I'll, I'll stop that song. But it's a fun, it's a fun old song. Um, but the idea is, as we fellowship with one another, Acts 2.42, and they prayed together, they broke bread together, they um, listened to the apostles' teaching, worship, all that, that as we choose to love one another, with God's love, we invite him into that, that he moves on that. And I, I have had times with people that have been so profound, so deep, loving the brothers, receiving love from the brothers, uh, a week and a half ago, I went to a, another church. I moonlight at Way of the Lord sometimes. I do some moonlighting. And this one this one guy is kind of having a little fun with him, uh, Facebook and a little teasing and all that. And I, I went to Way of the Lord, and I was down. I mean, I had a rough day. I had a rough night. And I was very down and discouraged and unhappy. I didn't want to be around people, but I wanted to go to God because I, I know that he's going to help. And just so down. And then this one guy, he looks at me. All he does, and there's this, all this affection in his face. And he looks at me, and there's some sort of transaction that is divine. And all of a sudden, this heart's like, ah! I mean, the heart, boom, it, it, it comes to this place of joy in life. And it, didn't, it, it, it wasn't just a passing thing. You know, this, this, this love enabled me to engage God. This love, I went home with that love. I went to, to bed 
And I felt like this just almost like God was just dwelling in my heart in a tangible way. And it was so satisfying. It's hard to even put into words, but the, the love of the brethren is so important. Going to a deeper place, koinonia means an intimate fellowship where my heart is touching your heart, where I'm serving you. You know, acceptance is so powerful. That definition that was given of love, I accept you. I receive you with your brokenness, with your confusion, with your whatever. And there's a power in that love. And God is so attracted to that love that, boom, he just, he just brings a life and a fire to that, that koinonia, which is so precious to him. As it says in John 17, he prays this. I think four times he hits this. I pray that they would be one as I and the Father are one. We're saved, but we're saved for something. We're saved for oneness. We're saved for intimacy. We're saved for family. But we have to choose to be vulnerable and we have to choose to take risks to bring John 17 to pass in our churches and our lives. 1 Corinthians 14, chapter 1 says, Pursue love. And I think that's an overlapping thing. I could say, how do you pursue love? Well, you worship, you ask for it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We need to be pursuing love. There's a, there's a couple of verses in Scripture that says, you know, no, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And I, I said to somebody yesterday, it's like, you know, I don't want my, my knowledge to be greater than my love because if my knowledge is greater than my love, boom, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to topple over. I'm probably going to hurt people with my knowledge. So, um, Lord, give me the grace. Give me the grace and the power to let your love surpass my knowledge and let your love be the platform for my knowledge. Jesus connects love with joy. If we love one another, if we love God, the fruit of that is going to be joy. Do you guys, when you truly love somebody, do you, do you find a joy in that? Do you find a joy if you truly love somebody? If you even, just think of a mom who gives of her time and her sleep and all that. We have some young mothers here. I mean, is there a pleasure at all? in meeting your kids' needs, even at your own expense, or any, any people who are mothers? Is there, is there some truth to that, maybe? Kind of hurts, yes, but there's, it's hard, but maybe there's something satisfying about it. You know? And people that I, that I love, when I give to them, it's not burdensome. It's a joyful thing. And that so much, I believe, reflects the love of God I'm almost done. As we abide in the Lord, as we abide in his agape, that agape experience of God transforms us into his image. Our character, our attitudes are touched by his agape and we get sanctified. We are called to become like Christ, correct? Christ is agape. And the more you abide in Christ, the more you know, love is patient, love is kind, agape, a patient kind, the more you become 1 Corinthians 13, the more your nature 
in the moral sense, in the agape sense, becomes like God. Be imitators of God and live a life of love, it says in Ephesians. And I believe that is, that is the main goal. As we are being transformed from glory to glory, he changes me as we behold him. We are transformed. That's connected to the abiding, the knowing, the experiencing. Um, I believe Christian maturity looks like love. Looks like love. And it's not how much you know. How good, how great is my capacity to give and receive love? And there, there are some people I can say, like a Paul Anderson. Is this guy, does this guy give love in a profound way? Yeah, I would say so. And, and that's indicative. There are others that I can name. But, but Christian maturity is evidenced by the degree, quality, depth of love that you can give and your attitude. Because, you know, love is patient, kind, proud, not proud, not rude. It transforms your attitude. It transforms your behavior. And you become more like agape, which is what God is calling his people to. And I'm going to maybe just hit one more thing. It does say in 1 John that if we claim to have fellowship with God, koinonia, but walk in darkness, darkness is connected to sin, blindness, all that, then we lie and do not do the truth. Now, God does not like sin. One of the reasons he doesn't like sin is because sin hurts us. Sin destroys fellowship. It destroys identity. It destroys dignity. Sin should be an enemy. No matter how good it tastes, sin is poison. Right? And a loving God does not want his people to eat or drink poison. A loving God does not want his family to get divided by sin. That's what sin does. It severs your relationships and it severs your capacity to give and receive love. So for the joy, the joy, the good things that God offers us, the fulfillment, the fullness of love, you know, it's that motive that, that causes me to war with sin, to fight sin and say no, because I know God is something so much better and so much more satisfying for me. And I'm just going to ask that everyone stand, if you would. And we're going to ask for the grace of God just to move on our hearts and give us more love. And I would like to pray for anybody who, who might feel like, you know what, I don't know the love of God. This is a foreign thing to me. I want you to come and get prayer. And we're going to pray for breakthrough. God wants to love his children. God wants his children to experience his love. So, Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now knowing that we're accepted, knowing that we're wanted. No matter what we're struggling with, how we feel, what our attitudes are, that you invite us to abide in you. And your, your word says that you know, if we ask, we're going to receive. We pray Romans 5.5. 5, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would shed the love of the Father deeply into our hearts. And I would just like you, to, if you'd be willing to lay your hands on your neighbor, just put your hands on your neighbor's shoulder if they're comfortable with that. We're going to pray for each other too. Just as the Spirit leads us. Father, love is food to us. Love is joy to us. We need love. We just ask, God, for your grace to come. Jesus, that you would manifest yourself to us. Manifest your character. Manifest your power. Manifest your heart. Manifest your tenderness. 
manifest your acceptance, your understanding, your compassion. Your word says that, as, as, as Ben shared earlier, Lord, that your, your heart is so much for the brokenhearted, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus anointed with the Holy Spirit to bind the brokenhearted. That you care so much about our pain. You care so much about our brokenness. And you want to bring us to wholeness. And you want us to know that we're accepted, God. That we don't have to do anything to earn our acceptance. That we're forgiven. And you understand our struggles, God. And you comfort us even in the midst of our failure. Because you love us that much, God. Your love is strong. Your love is unfailing. Father, we ask that you'd give us the grace to be vulnerable. The word restore hits me, Lord. That you'd restore us, those of us who've been broken and hurt by relationships that where love failed, where human love failed, where family love failed, a romantic love failed, that you want to bring restoration and healing. Lord, that you're not ashamed of us. You're not ashamed of the things we've done. Jesus, you took all that on the cross. We just lay down family members who've hurt us and let us down. We lay down situations that hurt us. And we forgive those who broke our hearts, who didn't accept us, who didn't give us a sense of belonging or understanding who rejected us, God, who didn't reflect your love, who made us feel unwanted, parents who misrepresented you, God, who didn't show grace and compassion, who were critical, who didn't spend time with us, God, who didn't try to understand us, who weren't able to give us that fire of love, God, to enable us to be satisfied and secure, who didn't give us belonging. Father, we forgive them. And we ask that you would heal these tender areas of our hearts and that you would give us the grace to take risks, God, not foolishly, but to be vulnerable again, believing that you're going to redeem and restore, that you have called us to emotionally satisfying relationship, God to touch others' hearts, to let their hearts touch ours. Only you can bring us there, God. We ask that you would help us to abide in you, Lord. You bring restoration to my soul. You bring restoration. You bring restoration to my
Father, we just break off curses and lies, Lord, where the enemy has said to some people here that they're unwanted or unloved, not worth loving. We renounce those lies. We break agreements with those lies. Those are, those are from hell. And we command those things to break right now in Jesus' name. The shame of rejection. Father God, we lay that shame down at your feet. We renounce the lie that we deserve to be rejected. Your word says that we are we are recipients of love. We're made for love. You didn't, you didn't give us life to be rejected. You gave us life to be accepted. So we renounce the lie that we deserve to be rejected or afraid that we're going to be rejected, God. We lay those lies, those strongholds down at your feet. Thank you that we're worth healing, God. We're worth restoring. We thank you that your love restores us. Your love transforms us. I had already 
thousand years bright shining as the God's praise then when we first become well I guess you are dismissed the Lord bless you and keep you make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you and grant you peace and if anybody would like prayer over the things that we shared be happy to do that after the service so take care